0: Well, my friends, I'm here today, gone tomorrow. Tomorrow we uh, head out to the University of Mary, and then Tuesday we fly out for Rome with the high school students. So, uh, please pray uh, more for them, for the high school students, uh, especially that they have a deep conversion as they see the Eternal City, the Great Universal Church, uh, that, that drives them into a deeper love for their faith. Uh, simply pray for me uh, that I don't kill an Italian. That's the only thing. <laughs> <clears throat> the only thing I ask on my behalf. Uh, the other thing is, I would like to apologize to the mothers. Apparently, I don't have any recollection of this, but I didn't wish the mothers Happy Mother's Day uh, on Mother's Day. And, and I think my, mo- my mother told me that, of course. Uh, leave it to your own mother. And so I wanted to uh, apologize and also wish the mothers very Happy Mother's Day, belated, and to our fathers, uh, Happy Father's Day today. And especially, uh, I think there's a real lacking of fatherhood uh, in the modern day and age. You know, they say that... the the number, percentage-wise, of single parents is, is skyrocketing. And it's usually the woman that has the child uh, because the father leaves. Uh, and so, gentlemen, we just ask, uh, on beh- I ask on behalf of the church, that you live out that vocation of fatherhood. And the most important thing that a father can do is what God the Father did. And that is give until it hurts. <laughs> give until it hurts. And to let your family know, is God let us very clearly know, that you love them. Those are the two biggest things that fathers do. And so, fathers, with all of your might, please live that vocation. Uh, And uh, Paul, as I came in, he said, It wouldn't be very appropriate to say Happy Father's Day to you, would it, Father? And I said, Well, not not so much. My Father's Day is Holy Thursday. That was the institution of the priesthood. So, this is the natural Father's Day. That's the spiritual Father's Day. As you know, I've I've been gone for the past couple weeks and. uh, one of those weeks I was on retreat. and I went to Los Angeles for retreat. And you know, I, I met the, the janitor at, at St. Mary's. I was getting some things done. I was running around. And he's like, he's like, "Where are you going now?" And I'm like, I gotta go to Los Angeles." He's like, "Right on." And I'm like, he's like, "What are you doing out there?" And I'm like, "I'm going on retreat." And he's like, "Why would you go to Los Angeles for retreat? The two places I've gone to retreat are Miami and Los Angeles. You know, two total places that you would not go on retreat, but it was a beautiful time. This little place outside the city, I got to uh, reunite with one of my old spiritual directors who's just like a Yoda of the spiritual life, you know, from Star Wars. I mean, the guy is just a master. And there were certain things that were revealed to me on this retreat, and they actually fit in very well into the gospel in the second reading today. And one of those things I think was providential. I was waiting for my spiritual director to show up because he had to come from across the city of Los Angeles. In LA, by the way, I found out why people live in LA. It's the climate. It is unbelievable, the climate is unbelievable there. But that's all they have. Everything else is horrible. I was longing for North Dakota. Longing for North Dakota. The traffic is out of control. And when you descend, I don't know if you've ever been to LAX, the International Airport. As you descend, they're like, you know, we're starting our descent into Los Angeles International Airport, blah, 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 blah. And you look outside and there's city. You're already over the city of Los Angeles. And for 20 minutes, you descend over city. And then you land. It's just city everywhere. And there's cars everywhere and people everywhere. And one of the main things that people are so excited about is image. Now, I don't want to come down on people in LA. I'm just saying the culture of Los Angeles is all about image. And I know that because for the first time, you know, before we had one day before the retreat, we just went around and saw Los Angeles. We went to Bel Air, couldn't get in there, it's a gated community, can't get in. Then went to Beverly Hills, which is, I don't know, it's pretty cool. I mean, I'm not going to lie, it's neat. And in Beverly Hills, there's Rodeo Drive. Rodeo Drive is one of the most famous streets in all of the United States, it's where all the capitalist sort of things happen. And then we were driving down Rodeo Drive, right outside the Gucci store was a Bugatti car. I don't know if you've ever heard of a Bugatti car. It's from Italy. It's the most expensive car in the world, $1.7 million. Just sitting there. And I was like, I was sick inside. I was like, it was just the opulence of America was out of control. Anyway, so the reason my spiritual director was late is he was caught in traffic. You're always caught in traffic in LA. You just can't get away from it. And also, the Los Angeles Kings were playing, I think, the final game of the Stanley Cup, which they won, so it was wild. And President Barack Obama was at some fundraiser, something in Beverly Hills, not being president. And, and you know, so it was, everything was blocked off. Everything. And so he was like, well, in this little room I was in, there was this huge book. I'm not kidding you, it was about three feet by two feet. It was a monstrosity of a book. And that's what, you know, I loved, I was like, this is awesome. So I opened it up. The name of the book was The Cosmos. Okay? And in the book of The Cosmos, there was a page. And I didn't know this. Maybe you knew this. I didn't know this. They took the Hubble Space Telescope and they pointed it into this black... Area of space. And they left the shutter open for 80 days. To capture whatever light it could. After 80 days. They shut. They closed the shutter. And they looked. And were astonished at what they saw. There's a picture. And you can Google this or whatever if you want. The picture of this little. It looks like black space. Came back. There were hundreds of galaxies. Hundreds of galaxies. Galaxies. Now, why this caught my attention so much is I was thinking, you know, I, I was thinking, man, you are really insignificant. Father Waltz, you are an insignificant person. I, I mean, I, th- I like to think I'm pretty significant, but the reality of it is we're all pretty insignificant. And then I got to thinking about how big the earth is, how big L.A. is, and then how big the solar system, the galaxy. You know how long it would take to cross the Milky Way? Just the Milky Way. They estimate 100,000 light years. And there's hundreds of these galaxies, maybe thousands, maybe millions for all we know, in the universe. And yet, uh, we little insignificant human beings are on this planet and somehow, for some reason, we're loved. I was blown away by this truth. And I was like, Lord, why? He said, it, you know, people think I'm crazy, I'm talking to myself. But God really said to me, he's like, it's not so insignificant. It's not so crazy to think about. Think about my son. Think about how insignificant Jesus Christ was. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Jesus was huge. He's like, not when he was alive. And I was like, wow, I never thought about that. Think about this. Jesus Christ, he, didn't, he wasn't born in Rome. He was born in Bethlehem. Nobody knows. Nobody knew who Beth, where Bethlehem was. Then he lived in Nazareth for 30 years. And Nazareth, I mean, no offense, was a dump. It was a dump. And we know that because when Philip came to Andrew, Phil Andrew said, we found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. And Philip's like, can anything good from, come from Nazareth? So the point being, Nazareth must have been kind of a dumpy place. And then he spent three years, three simple years, preaching some radical, crazy message to very small crowds. I know they seem big, but on the world scale, they were very small. I mean, he never had an audience with the emperor. The only audience he had with a government official was Herod and Pilate. And he didn't say anything to them. And then his people crucified him. If you asked anybody, the day after the crucifixion, what what do you think of Jesus of Nazareth? They said he's a loser. He's a failure. In fact, they did. It's recorded in the Gospel of Luke. They're walking on their way to Emmaus. And Jesus joins them. He says, guys, what are you talking about? And they don't recognize him. He says, let me paraphrase for you. Wow, we were talking about Jesus of Nazareth, this great, wonderful man who was going to liberate us and free us and make us amazing. And he failed us. He was a loser. He failed us. But yet, this little tiny man, this little mustard seed, right? Jesus makes this incredible... He says two, there's two things in the gospel you should pay attention to. The mustard seed. That is, God starts really small and with insignificant things. And second, when St. Paul says we walk by faith, not by sight. If you were staying at the crucifixion and you looked with sight, you would see a failure. But if you look with faith, as the eyes of Mary did, you see a conqueror, a king, a different kind of king, not one that we would normally think of. Let me give you a modern day example. Do any of you know who Adam Sapieha is? You can answer it if you do. I'd be really impressed if you did. Adam Sapieha. Cardinal Adam Sapieha, I had to hold back, Cardinal. Cardinal Adam Sapieha was the Archbishop of Krakow when Karol Waitia, anybody know who Karol Waitia is? John Paul Paul II, right? When Karol Waitia, right, was a young man and thinking about seminary. It was also during this time that the Nazis had invaded Poland. Karol Waitia, the young John Paul II, wanted to be a priest and Cardinal Sapieha said, well, he's a pretty good guy. You know, nothing spectacular. He's very educated. He's an actor. He's, all, he's a good up-and-coming priest. We'll take him. And so just to be safe, because as a seminarian you had no protection, as a priest you did. And so he dressed him up as a cleric and made John Paul II act as if he was a priest and had him live in his own private residence to protect him from the Nazis. And so this little mustard seed, this little tiny carol that nobody knew, nobody cared about, in silence and in the insignificant ways of God was being formed into a master. And if you were to ask any of the people of Poland during the time of the Nazi occupation or maybe even worse of the Soviet occupation of Poland, they would have said, we're done. Catholicism is finished. They're crushing us. They're putting us to death. There's no way we can survive. In the, with the eyes of the world, Poland was rocked with the eyes of faith, and those people had it, they said, we will not die. We will not be finished. And God raises up this man, little Carol, raises him up to the office of the papacy. And Pope, Carol White, Pope John Paul II, went to Poland, one man, and he spoke a message to the people that said, you know what, they can take everything away from you your family, your life. They can take it all, but the one thing they can't take is that you are created in the image and likeness of God and you have infinite dignity. They will never take that away from you. And so stand together with that one truth. And you know what? Poland stood together. And they rose up and through John Paul II's leadership crushed one of the most powerful totalitarian regimes to ever exist. One man. If you'd ask the people during the time with the eyes of sight, not faith, what do we need? People of Poland, what do we need? They say, we need a big freaking army. We need bombs. We need planes. We need tanks. We need manpower to overthrow this regime. And God says, no, you don't. No, you don't. You need faith that I'm going to have the last say. And my friends, maybe you can feel it now. I don't know if you do. I certainly do but in the modern day and age measure three it was our big measure it was what we wanted to go through as a catholic faithful that's what we were pulling for fighting for in the eyes of the world we are a failure we're a failure but you know what I think measure three did I think measure three exposed an evil that people knew about but never really believed and that is that an agenda driven group will pay enough money to destroy the Catholic Church. When Planned Parenthood put forward a million dollars to make sure Measure 3 didn't go through, they revealed their hand. And I think the entire state finally saw it. Don't lose faith. In the eyes of defeat, in the eyes of the world, don't lose faith. Since the time of the crucifixion, we have held strong. This is not the first time we've been attacked it won't be the last but you must have the eyes of faith and there is no better place to practice that than here at the Eucharist because to the eyes of the world that's bread and wine totally insignificant stupid to the eyes of faith to the believing Catholic that is the body and the blood of the Son of God and so long as we eat that body and drink that blood his life remains in us. And not even the gates of hell can prevail against that. So in the midst of adversity, in the midst of a dire situation, whatever that might be in your life, will you walk by faith? Or will you walk by sight? Because one leads to despair and one leads to life. And never underestimate the insignificant moments of your life. For that might be the place that God wants to work most powerfully, not only in your life, but in the world.